Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Championship team. This is uh, Jay Harwood's special edition of Amazing Conversations with Bob Papa, longtime vo- radio voice of the Giants. Bob, it's 28 years now? Since 1995. Jay, my first game was a lot like Sunday night's game. Cowboys beat the Giants 35 to nothing. That was the night the Giants retired Phil Simms' jersey. I was there. Yeah. I was there. It's and horrible. It- I got I got soaked Monday night too. I don't, I'm too old to get out of the rain, you know. And, and uh, I just sat there. I left with about two minutes to go. Usually, when I was younger, I stayed through the whole game. But I figured we weren't coming back at forty to nothing, so I had to. I left. So I'm a bad guy. That was a guy. safe bet. It was. It was Bob, we... were you a Giants fan growing up? I'm new Bergen Catholic, Dumont. Were you? Well, I'll give you the story, Jay. Um, my mother's family and my father's family grew up a stone's throw from Yankee Stadium. So we're Bronxites through and through. In fact, where the current Yankee Stadium is was where my father and my uncles and, uh, you know, great aunts and great uncles, that's, that's, that's where they played ball. Um, and in fact, in the old Yankee Stadium players parking lot, um, my dad and his buddies used to play stickball in the players' parking lot when the Yankees would be on road trips. So um, my father's mother's cousin was on the Yankee Stadium grounds crew for about 40 years. And uh, my dad and my uncle used to go to all the Giants games. Their job was to, you know, they always had the the people in wheelchairs that would sit out uh, in left field. Well, my dad and my uncle, in order to get into the games for free, their job was to wheel the the spectators in wheelchairs to the field so yeah the giants uh have been a part of my life and my family's life since the very beginning okay i take my my stories i've been with the mets 44 years now i've been a giant fan since 55 since 45 that's 68 years um i can remember alan the horse and michi running right at me in section 17 at the old yankee stadium so i, I got boy too when i was in like 10th grade i wrote a poem about the Giants. Two verses. The quarterback was Tittle, YA by name. He used his passing to gather him fame. The ends on the team were Frankie and Dell. They ran like how something like that. So that's my story. You know, I've so I've been addicted since my, my father's a baseball Giants fan, football Giants fan. Um, but Bob, let me talk to you about, you know, in the, when I grew up, Marty Glickman was a fan of yours. I didn't realize Marv Albert did Giants games a long time ago. After Marty Glickman, Marv Albert had a short little stint in there before uh, Jim Gordon eventually took over. But 
Uh, Marty was sort of the original, right? I mean, he's the yeah. one that painted the word picture. And, um, you know, I could never thank Marty Glickman enough for the opportunities that he gave me as a young broadcaster to kind of get started at WNEW AM, which led to sort of this involvement with the Giants since 1988 was the first year I was on the, the right. post-game show or, yeah, the post-game show. With point this. extra, right? Point, point extra. Yeah, the Giants point after. Point after. Giants point after. That's right, with the Panasonic player of the game. The players used to get all upset because I was partial to Stephen Baker, so now, no matter what play he made, I would give him the player of the game. That you know, We used to have Ralph Carter give the guys $100. And the big, that time, David, everybody wanted to get on the country's corner to get a $100 bill and everything. But, Bob, let me talk about, can I talk about Eli for two seconds? When Aaron Rodgers got hurt the other day, I turned to Eli. I said, "All the stuff he's done, sixteen years, not, never been on a DL. It's amazing. More than any his his, uh, you know, being every every day, getting hit, going out there every day. I mean, speaks to the kind of guy he is." Yeah, I mean, it's as you know, Jay. There's some luck involved, right? And a lot of it is just genetics, uh, because all these guys are tough, right? You think about London Fletcher, who played for Washington and the Rams, the Rams in Washington. He started like 236 games at middle linebacker. And and I think he started every game his last 13 years in the league, which and then you see guys get hurt. But circling back to the Giants perspective, you know, Eli's one of those guys that, you know, people realize once they're gone what they don't have anymore. And it's not as if he was healthy for all of those years. He played through a lot of injuries. I mean, high ankle sprains and a lot of other things, but he had a toughness and he had an ability about him to stay healthy and knew how to take a hit. And I mean, yeah, you see Aaron Rodgers go down. We've seen Daniel Jones go down. Heck, I mean, we saw Phil Simms go down a lot early in his career. What Eli was able to do is, is nothing short of remarkable. I, when I'm, you know, I've been since the ticket a long time. They used to build Phil Simms. We want Bruner. The whole, yeah. the whole bit, you know. I, I remember it, that. When, when I look at Eli, to, to me, he's like my David Wright. He he was always there, accountable, level-headed in the media sections. You know, we after the games, he'd get back in the call, listen to you on the radio. But in that win or lose, he was the same. Never was on page six. I mean, and he got the charity side of it, too. Don't I mean, you think that's a bad equation, David? Wright? I don't know how much you followed the Mets in a little bit. I mean, but. To me, he's our, you know, Eli and David Wright are really the same kind of people. Yeah, well, David, I mean, in the limited times that I've been around David Wright, I think your analogy is is pretty perfect there. I mean, stand up, community, face of the franchise, a guy that uh, throws nobody under the bus, um, and and what you want to lead your organization, and somebody that you know always takes it on himself. I. I made the joke one time to Eli. I said, uh, man, you and Derek Jeter must come from the same cloth. Yeah, it's another I good comparison. I mean, you guys are the best at doing your pressers, your press briefings, your post-game press conferences, and giving the media more than enough to write down and more than enough sound bites for Bruce Beck or whomever without ever really saying anything. Perfect. That's a great analogy. You know, <laughs> right? You, know, you don't want the guy sitting there. Hey, Jay, when I was a young, when I was a young 
person starting out when I was at Fordham at Sports Phone, um, and they had that audio service um, in the early 80s or mid-80s, I covered a lot of your teams. I was in those Mets locker rooms. Uh, you know, I love baseball, so I would take as many Yankees and Mets games as they would let me have and get that post-game audio. And it's a lot, you know, those guys sitting with their back to the media and swiping the mic, get that out yeah. of my face and all that. That's you how know? Harry Rose started, same way. Harry Rose did this. We, are you surprised, Bob, at the, the conglomerate Eli's become? I mean, he, he's not, he, he turned on the channels. He's there in every commercial. Every I know for a guy that was so milk toast during his career. Wasn't he? I mean, well, Peyton was outgo, but were you surprised what Eli's become? Yes and no. So I never knew if he really wanted to put himself out there to be this sort of uh, media personality. But I do know this again: the many facades of an individual. There is what these great athletes allow the public to see, where they want you to be let in, and then where they put their wall up. And one of the things about Eli is he's one of the great locker room practical jokers of all time. Uh, he was a guy that would stir the pot in the locker room and had practical jokes for everybody. And nobody was safe from being his target. I mean, you, everybody knows the story about like, if you leave your cell phone around Eli, he'll get into your phone and convert it all to the language of Chinese. And then players <laughs> can't get there. Can't, can't figure out how to get their phone back to English and uh you know it's it's many a player has been vexed by that trick Bob so David Wright is same vein practical joker my eyesight's not great I watched the game from the press box with binoculars so I used to leave my binoculars down in the locker room he used to put black tar around the inner circle so when I got up to the press box I looked like Petey from the Little Rascals you know because my head was up and he used to do it do it do it all the time but what if, you know, and since the last Super Bowl. But you know what, Jay, just to fit, before you get to the next question, but that's the beauty of a David Wright in this, of leadership, in the fact that, you know, he keeps everybody loose, you know, even you. And then you're walking around looking like Petey, and everybody gets a little chuckle. But what it, what it does is it brings everybody into the team. You know, one thing I learned in my here is, if you, you got to be able to take a joke. You got to be able to laugh at yourself. And that's how I existed in the locker room for 40 years. I was never willing to take myself, you know, I'm a suit. I never looked at myself as a suit. You know, I, I you know, I, that, that's how I got along with everybody. But what I want to ask you, since the last Super Bowl, there's been more losing and winning, unfortunately. Like when, when we started SNY, our ownership, one of our announcers, Gary, Keith, Ron, to not be homers. And I know listening to you and Carl, you you have the, the, the leeway when things are bad to tell it like it's bad, right? Like the fans are not stupid. Is there any comparison at all between, you know, what our guys do and your, you and Carl's approaches? Well, yeah, I mean, the, uh, the Gary, Keith, and Ron booth is, you know, as good as it gets as far right. as being honest and serving the fan. So I'll give you a story. So you mentioned the Giants point after. This is circa 1992. So I'm doing the post-game show. Um, I also did uh, the show from Gallagher's because WNEW had parted ways with the great John Kenley, which was a bad decision, but that's what happened. 
So I'm doing the post-game show. Ray Hanley's the head coach. And uh, it was one of those abysmal games. Uh, just one of these, you know, one of those games that probably looked like this past Sunday night. You know, the ship be sinking, both right. Michael Ray Richards. <laughs> so I, I was pretty hard on the team after the game for the 90 minutes. So every Monday morning, I would go into the facility, go into Giant Stadium, go to the locker room for the press avails, and, and the great Wellington Mara would lean against the wall in the locker room on the way to the trainer's room. And I think he wanted to observe how his players would handle things. He would just not say anything and just observe. So uh, now I knew Mr. Mara for, as being a student at Fordham. He would come to Fordham basketball games, and he'd be gracious enough to come on the halftime show every so often. And, you know, we have this Fordham royalty who all happens to own the Giants. So I had known him since I was a student in college. And all of a sudden, as I'm going from locker to locker to get some audio or to just listen in, uh, I hear this voice and Mr. Mara voice and says, Bob, can you come over here for a second? <laughs> I'm like, oh, and now, now, Jay, I'm 27 years old yeah. at this point, and I'm working with the team for the flagship station. I'm a little nervous. No kidding, seriously. <clears throat> says, uh, Ann and I were driving home from the ball game last night. You were pretty rough on the ball club. <laughs> Can't disagree with what you had to say. And then the words of advice came to me. You said, it's okay to be critical, just never get personal. He says, and as long as I see you uh, here at the facility, facing the players, doing your work, doing your preparation. Yeah. That's important. It's really important. Right. Because, you know, obviously with Sports Talk Radio, you have guys that sit in Ivy Towers that never show up at the, at the ballpark or the stadium and take shots at people from a thousand miles away and never have to face the music. And he said to me, and that is the, that is the theme. You could be critical. And I remember him saying to me directly in reference to the game from the day before, you can't fool our fans. Our fans know bad football when they see it. So it's okay that you were critical, but just remember, never get personal with a coach, never get personal with a player. You can be critical of the performance. We don't want to lie to our we don't want to lie to our fan base because we have a knowledgeable fan base. But never get personal. That's great. So you That's never great. get personal. The David Tyree game in, in Super Bowl Forty Two. You know, Eli. You know, um, it was a great catch and everything. But I thought that I was going to get sacked. You, I mean, to him to stand up through all the the you know dodging and weaving that play, that was pretty remarkable too. No, I mean. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, those guys, those offensive linemen, they're all tight. Uh, they remain close to this day. And they all like to point fingers at each other. Like, look, look at this one. It didn't block anybody on this play. And this one. And meanwhile, Eli's getting pulled and spun around and everything else. And it was incredible because, as you well know, in Super Bowls or World Series, um, a stadium has to accommodate uh, many more than they would on a normal game day. So the visiting home and visiting radio, Patriots radio, Giants radio, we were tucked in the corner. So I think I was probably halfway into the end zone. So I'm looking at all of that happen from behind. Uh, I'm not at midfield where I can see everything. I'm calling it from sort of behind. 
and I see Eli getting spun around and, and I'm like, I can't believe he got out of it. And, you know, Tyree was open originally. And in my brain, I had a little bit of a brain fart. That's why, like, some people give me a hard time when I say, wide open Tyree. Well, he wasn't wide open when he threw it, but he was wide open before he got spun around the first time. And I and Eli was looking for that. And Kevin Gilbride even said it years after we did a, a TV segment for, you know, Giants in-house production with Gilbride. And he's like, yeah, man, Ty, if, had we blocked it, Tyree was wide open. No one covered him. Yeah, nobody ever mentioned that before, but – but but one of my favorite games is the Packer game that year when Tides missed a kick in overtime, and we kick was forty seven yards right in that game. How cold was it that day for you? Coldest I've ever experienced in my life. Um, I remember driving. You know, the team stay in Appleton, which is like a forty minute drive, forty five minute drive to Green Bay, and I remember just looking outside and. And getting off the bus. And and that was the dawn of team internet where teams were starting to do their own TV. So they had Carl Banks and I doing uh, live hits on Giants.com from the locker room, outside the locker room when the team arrived, out on the field for pregame warms. I mean, I am so layered up. Because it's, with the wind chill, it's like 21 below. So the players come out, they go back in, nobody's even warming up. I get up to the press box. Now, I believe when you do a football game, the windows have to be open in the booth. Uh, they must be open. And uh, some guys will have closed windows. For me, it has to be wide open. I need to feel the crowd. I need to hear it. I need to feel it. I need to feel the vibe of the stadium. And uh, so I get up to the press box, and now I start to take off my 48 layers because I've been <laughs> on the field for about an hour doing these hits for Giants.com. And uh, I go to get myself a cup of Bigelow tea. And uh, I, get, I go to the press box. I get hot water. I put the tea bag in. I bring the tea. I put it on the ledge. And then I realized I had forgotten something in the main press box area. So I, I was like, I got to go get this. I went to go get it. I got sidetracked. I was talking with a few people. Um, a couple coaches came up there. Other media members got into these conversations by the elevator. Next thing I know, I, by the time I got back to my tea, it, it started forming ice in it. Really? Wow, that was crazy. Remember That's Tyler, how cold it was. Bob, last question. What did the uh, the water at Fordham, Michael Kay, Mike Breen, Chris Carino, Spiros Adidas, and from the Mets, the great uh, Chris Matchikowski, who hasn't missed a Met game in like 19 years. Jack and, Curry and Vince Scully. was another one. Vince Scully. The thing that made the decision for me was uh, – Back when I was getting into it, and I think a lot of the guys were getting into it, was um, and Jack Curry, but I can't no. forget Jack. Yeah, I mean, and and there's a there's a there's a John Gianone who right, you know right, watched, right. you know, and it, the list goes on. Uh, Mike Yam, who's on NFL Network, uh, but I I think this being in New York and being at a fifty thousand watt station in New York, and because of people like you, uh, that would give Fordham. Uh, credentials to games and give us access to go cover games, we learned and we were able to network ourselves. So not only did we learn our craft at Fordham, and then the alumni always are giving back and coming back. Ed Randall's another Fordham guy. Um, uh, Charles Osgood. Um, we could go on and on. Um, but there was, a, there, was a, there was a mentorship that happened with other guys trying to help each other. But I think the most important thing was as a student, 
you were not only working at the student radio station, but you were covering games in New York and you got to meet people, which then opened doors for you. Like I was a finance and marketing major. My father told me, if you want to major in communications, pay for yourself. So um, I said, how's finance and marketing sound? And he said, good, you need a fallback plan. But I learned everything I needed to at that radio station. I took one communications class and it was a class called advanced reporting and Stan Fischler was the professor. And he would hire us to go to Devils, Islanders and Rangers games to get stuff for his notebook. And that's how we met people. And that's how we networked ourselves. And, and obviously the rest is history for this group. That's it. And Mike, Mike Puma, one of our beat writers, Correct. Uh, was a Fordham guy. Malcolm Moran, another yeah, one. Good, good guy. Yeah. Well, I was an NYU guy myself. Um, so, hey, listen, oh, you got pre- Steve Cantlosi is one, Steve, of, one Steve, of your guys. Yeah, Steve Cantlosi. Bob, appreciate the time. I think October 2nd is the next home game. I would drop by. Hopefully, it won't be raining. Hopefully, it won't be like last week. And uh, I appreciate the time, Bob. Yeah, hopefully they have a few wins the next time I see I, you. Yeah, I hope so too. You know, well, well, this will be our year. I, I haven't lost faith. I haven't lost faith. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for your time, Bob. I really appreciate you. Thanks. You're welcome. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.